Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. We're continuing our series that we started last week with conversations on the way to the cross. And what I'm trying to do, endeavoring to do, is that dropping in on... uh, we're not dropping in on every single conversation, but those that I feel like uh, we can glean a whole lot from in this short period of time, and that is from where Jesus changed his focus. And around John 12, you'll notice that he focuses toward the cross, and the people that he has around him from John 12 right up to his trial are those people that he loves, his friends. And, uh, and so he begins to say and tell them things to prepare them for what's about to come, but also... There are just some beautiful gems of instruction to us, and it shows us even more so the heart of Christ as we make our way on into Easter, which I love Easter. Do you love Easter? Man, I love Easter. It is like the best time of the year. I, here's what I hope. I'm praying all of you guys that week of Easter that every night of the week you'll invite somebody into your house. Every night. You just have somebody over, and you just celebrate, and you have a good time because Easter is the pinnacle of Christianity. It's the pinnacle of any opportunity we have for change in ourselves and for this world. And so we should celebrate that. Easter is all about life. And so I'm loving this as we make our way toward Easter and toward the Resurrection Sunday. When I was, uh, some of you know, I, I wasn't raised in church. And so when I became a Christian, there were a lot of traditions that uh, I had to be brought along. <laughs> I just didn't catch the meaning. And uh, the first board, church board, I ever served on was at a, a small Pentecostal church, which was a whole other story for me, getting uh, uh, taught and understanding a different different uh, environment that I was used to. It was wonderful. And, uh, and so I was 26 years old, and I mean, they, they asked me to serve. Well, that, the congregation did, was a congregational thing. And uh, so they asked me to serve. And so, I mean, I was probably too young, way too young to be on there, but I was on there. And so the first meeting, I'm in there, and these older guys are in the room. And all of a sudden in the meeting, uh, somebody walks in with a basin of water, uh, and I'm from the South, so it's water, water, and, uh, t- and a towel, you know. And I'm thinking, did somebody spill something? What's going on here? And uh, so they bring the, the basin in, and they bring the towel in, and uh, then they start taking their shoes off. And I'm like, what the heck is going on here, you know? And, and they take their shoes off, and they take their socks off, and I'm not taking my <laughs> shoes off or socks off because I didn't know exactly what was going on, and and all of a sudden, you know, this guy named Paul, never forget him. Paul, he was, he was short in stature, but he had the heart of the world. I mean, he just had this huge heart. And he got, and he had just recently also been diagnosed with cancer. And he gets up out of his chair and he walks over to my chair and he starts unlacing my shoes. Yeah, exactly. You're laughing too. See, I'm I'm not laughing. I'm like a little, you know, I'm not, I don't know what's going on. But you could feel it in the room. You could feel this. There was just something, something very wonderful was going on. And and, uh, as odd as it seemed. And so he he takes my shoes off and, and he takes my socks off and 
And he takes the towel and he takes the water and he starts washing my feet and he starts weeping. This is no evangelistic type story here. This is the truth. And he just begins to wipe my feet with the water and the tears. And then one of the brothers finally read the scripture, which I kind of passed over about what we're going to talk about today in John 13. It was one of those moments where I left uh, just struggling with a lot of emotions. I didn't know exactly how to process what was going on. It was, it was very wonderful and at the same time incredibly almost embarrassing, if I could be honest. And so, no, I'm not breaking out the foot. <laughs> you know, some people are getting nervous right now. Is he going to break out the basins and the towels? You know? No, but I tell you what we are going to do. We're going to join the conversation with Jesus and his disciples on that night when he gathered with them, Passover. And we're going to eavesdrop on this conversation and see what we can take away from that night. So let's read our text. By the way, if you'll take your hand out and flip it over, the text is on the back as well as three fill-ins. It's just three simple fill-ins. You should have, been, uh, you should have received a pen, and you can use that if you want to track along. That way, when you leave, if you want to get the most out of this, you can talk about it at lunch and or take it home, talk to your family or friends. There's some questions at the, at the end of it as well, just to, uh, to get the most out of this moment. So let's read this, and uh, I'll pray, and we'll see what we can learn by listening in to Jesus and his friends on the way to the cross. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are, and this is the way it's phrased in the scripture, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall not wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not every one was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked of them? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, and this very, very, truly, truly, amen, amen. Lots of emphasis in that, at that point in the verse. I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I pray that you breathe life on it. 
that you bring it alive. Help me in my weakness, God. Give me the gift of teaching for the next few moments. Uh, reveal your word to us. Change us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. You've started a work in so many people, so many of us right here this morning, and I believe you want to continue that work. So, Holy Spirit, would you come? Pierce our hearts with your truth and your comfort and your love and, and come and have your way this morning in our gathering. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me just set this up a little bit for you. Uh, the Bible is written to basically a, a, an illiterate group of people. During this period of time, only 10 to 15% of the Romans could even read. And that was much less uh, a number for Christians. They just they couldn't read. The, the normal everyday person could not read. So how were they going to get the stories out? How were they going to get the truth out? It's real difficult for us to understand this, but... Uh, they would tell stories, and that's the way they understood. That's the way they carried uh, the truth forward. That's how they remembered things about their past, about uh, their families. And that's the way they learned about God as a person came along and taught. And uh, that was, it was an art with them, and it was a way of life. For us, it's difficult because we've, you know, we've got every possible way to communicate now. You know, videos, no videos. They had no writing. They had nothing like this. So... The stories are told in such a way as to imprint, to, to bring it alive so that one person can take that, go to another person and tell the story again and get the truth. And so when we read the scripture, uh, you know, I'm looking at all of these stories as I told you last week, eavesdropping. It's like we're sticking our ear up against the door or we're sticking our faces into the conversation and we're going, what's going on here? And we're trying to listen and learn from it. And so uh, they're telling the story in such a way that indeed it paints a drama. You know, it unfolds before us in such a way that there are characteristics that we can take with us and we can use. So understand that, that when you struggle with why didn't they say it this way, why didn't they say it that way, is that the, the structure is such that it can be told in story style. And be carried on and understood by the everyday person. Not just the 10 to 15% of the Romans and not the maybe 4 or 5% of the Christian world at that time. And so uh, we approach it that way. This whole thing of, of foot washing was a, it was a ritual. It was a tradition that they did. I mean, you can imagine walking the dusty roads during that period of time and coming into someone's house for a meal. Or you're meeting with them then uh, someone, it was nice that someone would come and wash off the dust from your feet. I mean, imagine the old ratty sandals. I mean, how many of you wear, I call them slaps, but how many of you wear flip-flops or slaps as I do? You know, I blew one out the other day at Market Common. And, uh, you know, you just, you live in them around here, right? And you can imagine living on those dusty roads and, and you come into someone's home. So it was, it was a compliment. You helped them by washing their feet, but you would never do it. Not if it was your home. And, and you would not even let another Jewish person do it. It would have to be a Gentile slave. It was the bottom of the barrel. People who did the washing of the feet. And so the Jewish people would have some Gentile slave or someone around. And they would come in and wash the feet of those who were in the home. Um, uh, wash it off, basin. Then you would come in and have a conversation and enjoy it. 
And Jesus, as I said earlier, Jesus' conversation is with the people that he knows right now. This is not with people outside of the circle. So if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, but someone brought you to church or you've been coming and listening, but you haven't made that step yet to, to go, okay, Jesus, I believe you're who you say you are, and I'm going to start my journey with you, then I invite you to eavesdrop along with us because Jesus is going to give us a lesson today, and it's a very wonderful and deep and powerful message. And so if you're not a Christian, you get a chance to look and see what we're called to, what kind of character we're called to, and that our leader, our Lord and our Savior has given us such an amazing example here. So hang in there with me, hang in there with us. Uh, in, in Luke 7, Jesus is visiting, and you don't go over there, I just want to mention this to you. In Luke 7, Jesus is visiting with a guy named Simon, and he's a Pharisee, a religious leader, and he walks into his house, and uh, nobody washes his feet. But this lady comes in, much like Mary did that we talked about last week. But this woman was, was not Mary. This was a woman whom, uh, it was a woman who had a very horrible reputation around town. But Jesus had touched her in a tremendous way that her life was changed. And, and so she comes in and begins to wash his feet with her tears and her hair. And Simon the Pharisee looks over at Jesus and says, Psh, If you were a prophet, you'd know what kind of lady this is washing your feet. And Jesus says back to Simon, he says, Simon, since I came into your house, you have not once nor has anyone washed my feet. But this woman has not ceased to wash my feet with her own tears and her own hair while I've been here. In other words, Simon, that was Simon's way of being hostile toward Jesus. You know, passive aggressive kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? I can't, I can't say it, but I'll do something that disses you. You get it? And so that was Simon's way of a passive-aggressive hostility uh, towards Jesus. So Jesus, you know, he, he understood this was a part of their life. This was a part of travel in the ancient world, and it was a way of welcoming someone. But at the same time, it was done by those who were not respected and were thought very little of. And, and so this is... This is the cultural situation that we find ourselves in. Uh, in your fill-in, if you want to start here with me, here's, we're going to take three takeaways this morning from it. And your first one is this. When you are secure in Jesus, you are free to serve anyone. When you are secure in Jesus, you are free to serve anyone. You see, nobody ever... Up to this point, no one with a big title and someone who was respected as an authority would have ever washed anybody else's feet. It was always the lower person on the totem pole who would wash the bigger people up all in society and in culture. Never would someone in a high position ever stoop low to come down and wash the feet of the everyday common person. No way that would ever happen. It just didn't happen. So the disciples are looking at this aghast. They're just, what is going on here? And don't forget this now in the context. Remember, the disciples still don't believe about the cross, him going to die yet. They still think he's going to take over. He's going to rule and reign. He's going to beat up the Romans. They're going to take over, and then the disciples are going to be like, you know, going to be his rulers and and the people that reign around Israel as Jesus becomes the king. Well, Jesus is the king and will become king, but he's coming in an upside-down way. 
isn't he? Not like they expect. And so the disciples are, what is going on here? But you know what? When you are secure in who you know you are with God, then you can serve just about anybody that comes along in your life because you're not threatened anymore. That security in God, that knowing that He loves you, knowing that He went to the cross for you, knowing that there's nothing more to be done for you than what God has not already done, puts you in a position of being able to find anyone anywhere in your own sense of pride, in your own sense of value, not being threatened at all. Let's, I mean, what keeps us from serving a lot of times is our pride, isn't it? I mean, it's like, I'm going to feel less than, or, or here it is, they're going to think less of me if I do that, right? That I'm going to lose a little bit of my weight, my gravitas, you know, my influence. Uh, I'm going to lose that if I stoop low. But yet the king of all comes in and grabs the towel and stoops low. When we're secure, uh, we can serve Anyway, that's a kingdom, isn't it? I mean, that the things that we see as a weakness, they're strengths. Being able to serve, being able to not be threatened by whatever situation we're in and still being able to reach out and to do something for someone or, or maybe not have our way in every situation, we're able to do that without us feeling like we're less than because we're secure in Christ. And Jesus was like that. He knew who he was, so he was able to, to serve I mean, in verses 3 through 4, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Okay, he knew that. And because he knew that, he was able to stoop low. I mean, remember on the way to the cross, we're going to know that he says, I could have called myriads of myriads of angels to come and rescue me, but I didn't. I didn't do it. Because there's strength. That strength that you have from knowing who you are in God allows you to humble yourself. And to be able to serve anyone, anywhere, at any time. And Jesus was not threatened by any of this. He knew that God had put everything under his power. He didn't have to prove it there. As a matter of fact, he is proving it here. Which one is more powerful, by the way? Is it taking control of people or is it serving people? When you make a choice, which one is more powerful in the long run? Which one leaves people more impacted? From your life. Which one? Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And I love this next little phrase. So he got up. And you stay seated when you think you're in a place of power. Let everybody serve me. But Jesus is so secure in who he is and what God has done in him and called him to do. He gets up and he goes serves. So he got up. If you don't remember anything else today, remember that. Jesus, so he got up. He goes and takes a towel, takes his outer garment off. He wraps a towel around him, which is saying, I am a servant. That's what this is saying. Of course, it's all pointing toward the cross, right? All toward the cross. I am a servant. All the disciples are just like this. And then he gets down on his hands and knees. He just, he lowers himself, lowers himself, lowers himself till he's down even below their level. They're stretched out, like we said last week, reclining like this. So he's down till he's at their feet. And he takes it off and he washes. When you know who you are and you know what Christ has done for you, you can pick up the towel. 
You can take up the towel. You can get up and you can go serve wherever you are. Whomever God directs you to. And there's power in that. This is the upside down kingdom. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. Remember the disciples were having this dispute over in uh, Luke 22. And uh, they're arguing about who's the greatest. Kind of like, you know, they're all Muhammad Ali. I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. They're all arguing. And, you know, Jesus says in verse 26 through 27, well, let's just read the story. A dispute also arose among them as to who of them was considered to be the greatest. Oh, man. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. But those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You catch that rhythm in that exchange? Who is greater, the one at the table or the one that serves? Honestly, who's greater? The one at the table, right? That's what he says. The one who, for who is greater, the one at the table or the one? Is it not the one who is at the table? Is Jesus greater? Absolutely, he's greater. But I am among you as one who serves. You get this? Upside down. He is great. You may have all the power. All the power in the world where you are. But the true test of it all is, are you willing to get up and go pick up the towel? Jesus says, indeed, I am, but I am among you as one who serves. He makes the choice to get up and go take the towel. In other words, guys, come on, understand this kingdom that's coming. It's not like you think. I'm the king, the Lord of all, and yet I am among you as one who serves. Now, I'm still scratching my head. It's been 47 years I've been trying to follow Jesus this May 1st. I'm still trying to catch up. And this really makes me want to try to catch up because it's, it's just out of your realm of trying to understand, but there's power in that moment. But when we, when we know the love of God and we know that we are we are sufficiently grounded in him and nothing can take that away from us and that our value is found in him, then we can serve anybody he calls us to. We can do it. And Jesus gave us this example. Number two, the next fill-in is this, is there is a washing that only Jesus can bring. There is a washing that only Jesus can bring. So Peter, you know, typical. We know Peter, right? He's the guy that is always like, you know, he's 100% all the time, just, you know, and you, have, you have people who are kind of calm and, you know, they work through things and they think things out. Then you have some of us that have personalities, like if a little bit's good, I'll just take a lot. You know, you know what I mean? If, if a little bit's good, I can do a lot. If I can serve for an hour, I can serve for two hours. Yeah, you know, you whatever. You throw yourself at it and throw yourself. Peter's such a guy. He just doesn't think through it, you know. And so he goes, no, no, Jesus. You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus responds with this. Unless I wash you, in verse 8, you have no part with me. 
Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And of course, he's pointing again to the cross. He's pointing to what's about to happen in just a few hours. And that the washing of of the blood of Christ and what it comes to wash our sins away, that that opens up an opportunity to come to know your Creator in such a way that the world has never known before. And that washing has to be done in order to to get in right relationship with God. But let let me point something out in this verse. That when he says, you have no part with me, that word no part is is, is Greek term, minos, which is, it means the promised land. It means the land. It's the same term used in the Old Testament for the land that was promised to Israel. In other words, you will not get to your promised land apart from the washing that I bring. Now, he well knew this as a Jewish man. He understood this and he was... All of a sudden, it's a flashback to Passover is here. It's time. When you look at the journey of Israel for all those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and you look at Jesus, and now the first Adam failed, the second Adam has succeeded. Jesus. Abraham comes along. You know, when we get the Abrahamic covenant and we get all of this, Jesus has fulfilled it. We get on to Moses, and Jesus is the Moses. He is the one who leads his, his people out from Pharaoh, from sin, and from the devil, and he leads them out of bondage. He takes them through the desert of their lives, and he crosses the river through baptism, and he brings them into the promised land as Joshua, Yeshua. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of this, and not only that, but Jesus is the Passover lamb. Not only is he the leader that brings us out of bondage and out of Pharaoh's heavy-handedness, but he is the price that is paid. And he is the protection that is given to protect us in our journey. That washing is available in Jesus Christ only. Now, to those of us who struggle, I have lots of friends who struggle with, anytime you bring it down to Jesus is the only way people struggle. They say, well, I'm a good person. Why would I not be accepted by God? I do good things. I don't rip anybody off. I'm a nice person. And I got friends that are super great people. I mean, they love me. They do. I mean, they're just great friends and all. But listen, you know, how good do you have to be? Just really, how good do you have to be? And if being a good person is good enough, why in the world would God himself send his only son to die this torturous death? Why would he do that if any old way would do? It makes no sense. Why would God send his only son to come down to be betrayed, to be brutally murdered, treated the way he was if, hey, I could just be a good guy and everything's great? We must have a problem a lot deeper than not being a nice person. I mean, we got a problem so deep it took God himself coming to give himself in order to reconcile us, to wash us, to cleanse us so that we could be his once again. You know, I find that good news. I find that wonderfully good news because God has focused in on what it takes for us now. I don't have to, you know, before I, be, before I got to know Jesus, you know, I was running from this religion to that religion to this thing to that discipline to this to that. And I got so confused. I was like, ah, oh, man, which one is real? But then I got to Jesus and I thought, God gave his son. Why would he do that? Why would he do that if any old way would do? And Jesus tells his best friends, he tells Peter, he says, you, you need to be washed. 
through my death is what he's pointing to. And Peter, you got to love this response, right? He goes, well, didn't just wash all of me. You know, I said, yeah, my feet are good. Hey, head and hands and body's got to be better, you know, so just wash it all. He, the metaphor breaks down on Peter. You know, he just doesn't, he doesn't get it. And, uh, and, but Jesus says, no, you know, if, if you're washed the way I want to wash you, Peter, it's enough. It's enough. And it's enough for you. It's enough for you this morning. That might be your takeaway today. It might be, hey, I want the washing that only Jesus brings. Because he's the only one. It's good news and it clears up all the conversations and the white noise around us. When we hear Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It takes out the white noise and we're able to hear clearly from a loving God who cares for us who says here this is the way walk in it come and so Jesus is telling his friends and telling Peter you know hey this washing once you have this washing you're good (laughs) Peter you don't need you know you don't need that just listen to me and so there's a washing that only Jesus brings and in that washing is just not the forgiveness you know of sins which is wonderful and awesome but it's you being put back in right standing with God so that now where it says no part of that promised land no part of that what was offered to Israel now is now available to you you can be a part of the kingdom Now, through his washing, you will see the kingdom come in your life. Now, through Jesus' washing, you will be a part of the kingdom when it comes in its fullness. And now you can pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Right now, in my family, in my body, wherever I am. You will have no part outside of that washing, Jesus says. But in Jesus, you get that part, too. Not just get saved, go home. No. Come to Christ and know him and have a relationship and then take your part. Receive that part of the promise from God that he gave you. Receive it because it's going to come over and over and over and over until it runs right on into eternity with you. Right here as he brings his kingdom on the earth and he restores everything to newness. You will have a part in that. So there's a washing that only Jesus brings. And the first one was when you are secure in Jesus, you are free to serve anyone. The third one is this. To serve as Jesus served requires humility. To serve as Jesus served requires humility. 14 through 17 verses in John 13. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, that's rabbi and, and curious Lord there, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You will be blessed if you do them. To serve as Jesus requires humility. You know, humility, we, we, a lot of times in church we'll go, hey, uh, would you like, do you, do you have the gift of music? Do you have the gift of welcoming people? How many times has anyone asked you, are you humble? <laughs> well, you know the catch. You can't answer it, right? Because if you're messed up either way. I mean, <laughs> if you say, well, yes, I am humble. You know, it's like, no, you're not. Not now. 
you know, not now you're not, you know. And if you say no, then it's like, well, that's good. So either way, it could be good because then you could have a confrontation with yourself. But humility is something that we see in our behavior. Humility is something that you don't see outside of us behaving that way. It's easy to say, I'm a humble person. It's not so easy to humble yourself and to find a sense of humility in your life that is powerful. Powerful. Now, we don't practice in the vineyard. We don't practice foot washing, y'all. You know, uh, even though I think in some ways it's a beautiful tradition and, and, and brings home some truth and and all, but uh, we don't do that. Probably baptism is the closest thing. And if you've never been baptized, you should. When you leave from here, you should go out and say, "I want to be. I want to be baptized." I was baptized on Easter way back in '72 or whenever it was, and I'll never forget it. You know, ever forget it. And uh, and we don't do like uh, some of the Catholic churches do. Like uh, some of the bishops will will find twelve other priests and they will wash their feet around uh, Monday Thursday. And uh, then there's some other priests who will go out into a poor area of town and they will wash the feet of the poor in order to remember what Jesus said on Monday, Thursday. Um, we don't do all those things. But many times we can turn all these rituals into something of pride, can't we? Why, yes, I did humble myself, you know. I did. I washed somebody's feet. And so we're, we're such sick creatures sometimes, aren't we? And that's why Jesus came. You know, he came, he came to redeem us, to save us, to give us a part in that holy part of his life that we could come to know it and live without shame and live without this and learn how to live the way he called us to. But he did tell us to go and live like he lived. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, there's going to be a moment in your life where God is going to ask you, probably, I know this for sure, he's going to ask you to humble yourself. And in that moment, you're going to sense a power, Christ power of humility. And there is power in that. We have quite a few people in our church who have gone to Columbia International University uh, and graduated. It used to be Columbia Bible College and, and all of this. But uh, Dr. Robert McQuilkin, Robertson McQuilkin used to be the president. And um, he and his wife, Muriel, uh, it goes way back. You should go online, go to YouTube, and look up Dr. Roberts McQuilkin. That's his wife. Muriel, well, just as they were hitting their stride uh, in all of their teaching and her a conference speaker and all, she began to have memory loss and uh, found out that she had Alzheimer's. And, and so Dr. McQuilkin uh, had some choices to make. He says it was a choice between two loves. Because he loved seminary, he loved teaching, missions work in Japan that he did was amazing. And, and, uh, but he said he loved his wife, you know, first. And so he stepped out and stepped down as president. And he, this is what he said, It is more than keeping promises and being fair. As I watch her brave descent into oblivion, Muriel is the joy of my life. Daily I discern new manifestations of the kind of person she is, the wife I always loved. I also see fresh manifestations of God's love, the God I long to love more fully. You know, when you stoop and you humble yourself, it's like God increases the amount of love you get to experience that you never experience if you don't do that. The upside-down kingdom. 
There's another guy that uh, I love his writings, uh, Henry Nowen, Catholic priest who taught at Harvard, Yale, Princeton. Just uh, brilliant. I think he's got the best book on being a Christian leader uh, that's ever been written, and it's so small, it's so wonderful, and, and uh, just powerful stuff that Henry writes. Well, right in the middle of his wonderful profession, he goes to live in a community of people who are mentally and physically challenged. There's a hundred. It was called the Daybreak, this community, of a hundred people. And he said this about serving there. He laid aside his work, and he went and lived in that home with those hundred mentally challenged folks and physically challenged. And he says the ARC uh, exists, this organization, not to help the mentally handicapped get normal. (laughs) but to help them share their spiritual gifts with the world. The poor of spirit are given to us for our conversion. In their poverty, the mentally handicapped reveal God to us and hold us close to the gospel. There is a love and a revealing of the power of God in the place of humility that we never get when we're on the pinnacle of authority and having our way. This is the example that Jesus set for us. And he says, my people, my friends, Peter, with your zealousness, you should go and live the same way and treat one another as I have treated you. This is our call on the way to the cross because there is no more of a humbling than Jesus on the cross. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that you have revealed to us the incredible power and strength of humility. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. You can learn more about us and access a video archive of our messages by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel led to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or download the PushPay app on your smartphone and search for Seacoast Vineyard Church.